Dr. Nimrod Mbili is an academic, a successful businessman who has a talent to simplify business and make it relevant beyond the boardroom. Catch Dr. Nimrod Mbili live and Beyond Governance Tuesdays at 6 p.m. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbili. Tonight, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, as I was driving and I said to myself, the most important thing that South Africans need to be focusing on now are solutions. Solution in the context of ESCOM. ESCOM is currently going through a turbulence of challenges which um, would not have, would not add any value if South Africans will continuously lambast leadership. I think it's about time for us to be much more proactive, much more, um, you know, thoughtful by, you know, providing insights and guidance and that will support us um, as turnaround strategy. On that point, on that note, I'll be joining on, on, on online by Unati Mtoni, who is a lecturer at the Davins Institute where he teaches ethics. And also be joined in studio by a regular feature of the show, Mr. Justice Ndaba, who is an executive director at Knowledge Anchors Group. Um, in a core, like I said earlier, the core of our conversation tonight is going to be a turnaround strategy at ESCOM amidst the load shedding, which we are told runs into billions of rents daily. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I'll perhaps maybe, you know, um, you know, throw, uh, to Unati, whom I believe is on the line. Uh, Unati, good evening and welcome. Ah, welcome. Thank you. And, uh, welcome to Shiva. Thank you very much for, for, for coming through, sir. Um, earlier on when I did an instru- in, in, intro and I said, I think the challenge for everyone is to provide thought leadership support, um, for ESCOM in its quest to redefine itself, in its quest to, to bring about a turnaround strategy. But for us to, Firstly, talk about turnaround strategy. There are certain things that needs to be upfront, and, and there are certain things that uh, leadership needs to own up. I mean, perhaps maybe as a way of kicking off, you know, we have learned today that the Minister of Public Enterprise, uh, Pravin Golan, has said in, um, that his department and national treasury will assist in battle power utility to fast track the procurement of essential goods and services. Uh, you know, such, such that you know the, these kinds of issues are being attended to. First and foremost. Does that statement inspire confidence? Anybody who would have listened to, the, you know, the, you know, different bulletins today, when Pravin Godan was making pronouncements uh, together with Abumabuza, you know, did anything come out that would uh, inspire confidence to anybody who would, be, who would have listened? I thank you, thank you so much. Um, I think it's a, it's it's a bit late. Um, because I think in the same press conference they acknowledged that the communication was not up to scratch. So in my view, I think there's, there's just systematic problems, um, starting with the executive authority to the executive, to the accounting authority and, and maybe to the executives at ESCOM. And I, I, I wouldn't have been, I mean, if I was sitting at that particular time, and there was no electricity where I was, I wouldn't have been inspired by that. So I think that's the that's the reality that 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 we face um, is that even at the very basic level of communication, there's still issues 
around communicating effectively about such a basic utility such as electricity, which affects us the entire 24 hours of a day. So for me, and the reality of the matter is we've been through this load shedding before. This is nothing new. If this was happening for the first time, I would say maybe there's, there's, there's maybe give a little bit of a leeway to, to the minister and, and be a bit more trusting of what he's saying. But the reality of the matter is we st- we've, we've been through this before and, and I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm not confident that, um, we are, we are being told the entire truth and whether the problem will really be solved. I, and I also sitting here don't know what the real problem is. Having listened to the minister, listened to many other people that speak about the same thing, it's difficult for even an engineer like me to understand what the real problem is. And based on that, I, 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 I'm not confident that um, they will solve the problem. It, it, it will come back again at some point. Um, and I mean, having listened to you speaking about turnaround strategy, I mean, I, I don't know of any turnaround strategy that works unless you have the right people to do the job. I, I don't know of any that works unless Hold on to that thought. You know, we are told by Chris Yelland, who, who happens to be one of these senior um, energy experts, saying, uh, you know, low shedding is costing a country a billion rands. And when he calculated uh, from when low shedding started, we are, as of today, we are sitting at about 38 billion rands. Do you think there's been any acknowledgement from the shareholder the cost implications of low shedding? Um, and first, because we still want to talk about the turnaround. I always move from a premise that any turnaround has to be informed by authentic leadership and authentic leadership in my view has to start off by acknowledging the mistakes and not going around and giving us all sorts of stories first you must own up you know and once you've owned up then then it's a way of building the trust which by the way there's no trust at all i mean escom is in shambles in as far as trust is concerned so my question is do you think there's there's any sense of appreciation on the side of the shareholder, on the cost implications of um, uh, load shedding, which is estimated at eight billion rand. Well, well, let me answer the question maybe slightly broader than, than than that, and say, I think we, as a country generally, I mean, since 1994, maybe even before then, we live in a country where politics, I think, are, are overrated, and maybe simple matters that should be done and be left to the people that do those things and then we hold them accountable based on the contract that they've signed or the delivery contracts that they've signed become political footballs. And I think that's what maybe is the issue here is that it's a bit difficult for the shareholder to acknowledge the real full impact of load shedding because in a few weeks' time we have general elections and I mean, in this political environment, it's a bit risky, supposedly, for them to acknowledge what the full impact of this thing is. So, in my view, we 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 have a we have a bigger problem than just um, the government acknowledging what the impact is. Would, the would, would, problem is we we we've, we we've politicized. Um, a lot of things, and and I mean, I I, I to, to take the matter further. 
um, on the same issue of energy, on the same issue of ESCOM, is exactly what other people have been saying, that the Minister of Energy is a brother-in-law to Mr. Mutsipe. Mr. Mutsipe is a company that has an IPP. Mr. Mutsipe is a brother-in-law to the President. The Minister of Energy signed the IPPs within weeks of being appointed the Minister of Energy. So there's a whole lot of other things that are happening around energy that themselves ideally shouldn't be happening, which in my view, from an ethical perspective, raises a lot of issues about conflict of interest and are just creating the matter and complicating the matter, in my view. Whereas if we didn't have a Minister of Energy, like we have now with somebody else, the President or, or, or the Mr. Mutsebe, in spite of his um, um, public utterances in this regard, didn't have a company that was in the energy sector, Maybe it will be easier to communicate and be easier for us to trust this. But I think with all these other things that are happening, it's a bit difficult to do that. So I think we have an environment in the energy sector that has been politicized, and that makes it difficult, I think, for, for, for government to acknowledge fully what the implications of this are. Maybe to take that conversation slightly further, um, one, one, one of the explanations you know, uh, provided by, or given to us by ESCOM is the fact that, uh, you know, the 1.5 uh, or 1,150 megawatts uh, from Mozambique, um, you know, has been tempered with due to, obviously, a cyclone. Does that warrant sufficient explanation as to where ESCOM is? Because... Before, even before we, even before you've had a tropical cyclone, a die as it's called, um, we have always had been issues around maintenance, around leadership, around corruption, around all those kinds of issues. Um, I, I find it quite strange that we're now talking, you know, um, a you know tropical cyclone, which, by the way, when you look at the the amount of energy that has been transmitted. From that, from the, from that, from from Mozambique, uh, does not really warrant significant uh, transmission, as it were. What's your take on that? Uh, my view is is that I mean, climatologists these days predict these um, these um, weather patterns quite in advance. Um, it might be that, and I understand that Mozambique. Is that a country with a lot of resources that even if there's a weak um, lead time to the storm, um, there's not enough resources to mobilize fully. I mean, and I understand that. But I think in this instance, um, with, with credit rating agencies to evaluate us, I mean, we could have mobilized before about ensuring that if something happens to that source of energy, we, are, we mobilize quicker and we could have done something a lot earlier. Fair enough, maybe the area was not accessible, but at least we could have, I mean, the minister had an opportunity to tell us that they mobilized earlier and then things didn't work out because they couldn't access the dam or where the, the, the actual uh, damage has been on the line. That could have, they could have communicated if that was the case. But I didn't get the sense that there was any um, pre-planning or anticipation of the storm or any damage that the storm, despite the rating of the storm, and the likely damage that was going to happen. Assuming this happened in another country that's more um, caring, I think you would have found some form of pre-mobilization to ensure that if something happens to that line, we're able to mobilize quicker. So I think for me, that's one point. The second point, I agree that 
I don't understand why if that line gives us only a fraction thereof, now we must move from stage four to potentially stage five and stage six, post the storm or post the damage. That doesn't make sense to me at all. And I think that's what creates the problems of trust between what the government is saying and what is happening. So on the one side, yes, there's a problem, but we don't understand why is the problem deteriorating even further. It's like now the whole power grid has reached a tipping point. And I think that's, that's what is, 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 is making a lot of us um, afraid of what was happening. I mean, they're saying they will go to stage five and stage six to avoid a national blackout. Now there's a new word that has been included into the narrative called a national blackout. Which for me means things are, are getting worse. I mean, that's the only thing that, that, that it means. It simply means things are deteriorating, they're getting worse. Last week we didn't have this word national background in our narrative, but to this week we have as a distinct possibility. So uh, for me, I think the, 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 the Mozambique situation doesn't, we could have done better and secondly doesn't, um, Explain the, 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 what seems to me like a tipping point on, on the circumstances. Earlier on, you raised a very critical point around possible implications uh, of uh, you know, load shedding uh, from the perspective of the credit rating agencies. We know for the fact that I mean, most of our government and most of the entities have been downgraded. What do you think the, the you know, potential 38 billion rand will amount to from the perspective of the rating agencies? I mean, it's, 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 I think the issue of, of notwithstanding what the, 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 the intentions of the rating agencies might be, which might be hidden and we don't always know, but on the simple surface, the issue is simply that it has to deal with risk. In other words, if this country borrows money, whether as the government or as SOCs, does it have the capacity to pay that money back? In other words, on the installments that have been agreed, will it pay all that money back without defaulting? So naturally, if the economy shrinks, it means the tax base is going to shrink. If the tax base shrinks, then it means the amount of amount, amount of money available for the government to spend is going to shrink. So that already puts a lot of pressure on the government coffers. It's either government has to borrow more. If they borrow more, they're going to have to use more money to pay for the financing of what they've borrowed. And the social pressures this side are, are also building up. Um, 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 there's, there's challenges. I mean, in terms of uh, social and, and, and protests that we've had in this country in the last four or five years, they've just, in my view, increased exponentially. So you have a situation where the pressure to provide is increasing and the resources to make that provision are decreasing. So the problem is getting wider and wider, in my view. And I think that's the, that's the challenge that, that we face. I mean, I was reading somewhere that government's uh, total debt is going to get to $3 trillion in the next financial year. $3 trillion. So government pays something close to 200 billion rands on financing costs only. That can so, be, yeah, that, that, so, that, so that, that can be comforting. Quite, quite high. I mean, I, 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 quite high. Um, and, and really something needs to, something needs to give in one way or another. So what I'm saying is 
Um, I, I cannot foresee an objective credit rating agency suggesting that in the immediate future, our ability to finance or our ability to meet our obligations in terms of the debt that we have will improve or get better. I cannot see how. But let's look at uh, the, the issue of, from, from a turnaround point of view, um, you know, we know that ESCOM has been owed by municipalities and townships, you know, for an example, we are told that ESCOM uh, is, is owed, you know, uh, 15 billion rents, you know, of unpaid electricity bills by Soweti only. And, you know, it, more of the similar amount is owed by six, close to 60 municipalities. Um, and obviously these kinds of debts exacerbate the bleeding of ESCOM and the extent to which ESCOM can, can, can provide the kind of, uh, energy that, 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 that is supposed to be, you know, providing, um, hence the load shedding. From a turnaround point of view, how do we deal, you know, because ultimately we have that moral obligation to support ESCOM because it's not, it's not in our best interest, you know, to, you know, to groan and moan uh, in perpetuity, we need to be saying part of the turnaround study, these are some of the things that ESCOM need to be looking at. From where you're sitting as an analyst, um, you know, uh, what would what, what would constitute key strategic turnaround elements which, when followed through, um, you know, to the letter, are likely to yield results? I think fundamentally there are three issues, and and I'd look at them as uh, in a in a triangle. One, we need a leadership that's willing to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. Two, we need to get the operations right. If the operations become reliable, because that will help us to save some money on 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 our credit rating improving. And out of that, we can save some money um, um, in the financing costs. And out of that, we get more money to support ESCOM. So those are the three areas. The third one, of course, is issues of how do we improve the revenue of ESCOM. One on the one side is issues of how the regulator gives the tariffs to ESCOM. And then on the other other people is, is on the other side of that financing coin are the people that owe ESCOM money. So... Somebody has to take a decision that says that ESCOM has to be paid. Nobody must obtain electricity um, that they're supposed to pay for, and they're not paying for it. Because the consequences of that is a threat to the very existence of ESCOM. And if ESCOM dies, then all of us suffer. It's not just the people that are at a specific location that suffer. But for that to happen, you need this apex, which is a leadership that's willing to make the tough decisions regardless of what the consequences are. So if we don't have that, then we're going to recycle the problem. In other words, we're going to create an impression that we've sorted it out, and then in 10 years' time, the same problem comes back to, to haunt us again. So any ten, that's why I was saying earlier on that I don't know of any turnaround strategy that has succeeded without the leadership that's willing to make those kind of decisions. And that's the question that maybe um, we must ask is, whether the leadership that we have, setting from the highest office of the land, is willing to make those tough decisions to say that if you live in Soweto and, and you have not paid your electricity, you must pay your electricity. 
Even if you pay at a rate that is lower than what other people are paying, but you have to pay such that out of the 15 billion, at least we connect, we collect 10 billion out of that, which will be a, 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 a big injection to at least certainly at ESCOM's operating costs will be a big injection to ESCOM. So even the other municipalities must, 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 must start to, 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 to pay. And, and that's something that maybe government must look at. I mean, I can go further to say, that do we need so many municipalities? I mean, do we really need 224 municipalities? So these are the, but these are the decisions that the leadership must make. Um, and if we don't have that leadership, unfortunately, we will always get around the problem. And next year or in two years' time, we are back to square one with the same problem of load shedding again. So somebody has to take the bull by its neck and, 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 and make some really tough, unpopular decision and be willing to face the consequences of those decisions. I don't know of any turnaround you can do without that. My, my sense from what you're saying, Unati, is that um, surely uh, the board of, es- of OSCOM is sitting in a very precarious position because they do not have that kind of authority uh, to be making political state or making political pronouncements or rather making decisions that have uh, serious political implications, i.e. how do we impress upon the non-payment because that is a political imperative. Um, you know, those that are not paying, you know, of course in the context of um, high unemployment rate, but that can't be used as an excuse because there are households that are indigent and the households that are not indigent, which means there has to be a, a differentiated approach in that those that can afford a poll must pay. But, you know, because of the elections, surely that could probably uh, cause the, 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 the ruling parties had to, to literally stand up because it becomes a very tricky, even though from a, a rational point of view, it is something that needs to be pursued with rigor. However, in the midst of election, nobody wants to touch that. Uh, I, I think, I think, but but I think at some point, I mean, it's not a problem that will go away. Even if you you can avoid it now, but it's going to come back later. Sooner or later, it's going to come back. Um, they, for me, that's what that's what the country needs, and it, it, that's why I was saying earlier on, maybe politics are overrated in this country. And and I mean, I read a lot about the history of the ruling party, and and I've always understood it to be a party. That's willing to act in the best interest of the people. I've never known it to be a, a party that's willing to act in its best interest, even if that costs the rest of us. And unfortunately, in these last maybe 20 years or so, we've seen symptoms of where the party has become the ocean and South Africa has become the island. And that's the challenge that, that we face. So, but be that as it may, even if the, 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 you, at best they are delaying the decision. Because you're not gonna do away with it. So, so at some point somebody has to make a decision. Whether that becomes the ruling party or that becomes the electorate, we will see in time. But somebody somewhere has to make a decision. Somebody has to say enough is enough. Whether that's the ruling party or that's the electorate, we will see in time, but like I say, somebody has to make a decision because we've reached a point where we're between a rock and a hard place, and 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 
we have to make some tough decisions, unfortunately. Tough decision, uh, I agree with you. And let me suppose that, um, you know, all the entities in question have legitimate crisis. And part of the turnaround is to bring, you know, your constituencies in your confidence that you are indeed authentic, you are indeed uh, striving towards redeeming yourself and by acting in a, in, in a best interest. Um, but again, that also presupposes that the, the political will um, to actually become very unpopular. Do you think, from where you're sitting and based on your observation, is there political will to become unpopular? No, I, I, I've, I have not seen it in this, um, in this democratic uh, dispensation. Honestly, I, I, I may have seen it in the first five, ten years, but certainly in the last 10, 15 years, I have not seen it. I have not seen a willingness to, to make unpopular decisions. I mean, I can go back to, we can even talk about ETOs. I think it's the same problem. We're not willing to make tough decisions that are in the best interest of the country if those decisions are, even if those decisions are not popular. So you have at one end national government saying, no, 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 we must keep these ETOs and we have a debt that needs to be paid for. And then you have a provincial government that says, no, but these are destructive and they are not helping us. And therefore they must be scrapped. So there's no political will, even in that instance, to bring the matter to finality and then we move on. There isn't. So I, 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 I've not seen it. And, uh, I don't know if, um, um, the new leadership or in the, in the ruling party has that, um, political will or even that legitimacy for that matter to be able to do that. Um, and I think that's one of the problems that maybe politically um, Nasrek created is 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 that there were no real victors who would have the stage and the legitimacy to do what they're supposed to do. So I think that's that's the problem that is in the ruling party, and I think it's affecting how government functions to the extent that um, it's difficult to make what should be tough and should be made decision by, by the executive. So that's that's the reality. I have not seen it. I, I'll be honest in my view. I have not seen it. Well, we, we're going to have to leave it there, Unati Tony. Thank you very much for your insight. I surely hope that the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed the thought-provoking uh, session that you have made to date. I thank you, sir. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. There you are. That was Unatum Tony, who is a lecturer at the Da Vinci Institute, really giving us insight on potentially what are the booby traps, if you like, that are likely to be experienced as part of the turnaround. Um, before we come back to the next session of the the, the show, uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back in a second. <laughs> 